Welcome, everyone, to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips, too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on our FM station in New York, and our listeners on our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have a great lineup for you, starting with Abigail Don, who is the who owns the Bake School in Philadelphia. Then we have Walter Goldsbury, who is one of the co-owners of Crumb in Haddonfield, New Jersey. And finally, we have friend of the show, Frank Pagliero, who owns Frank's Wine in Delaware. Amorous Pollock, introduce us to your fabulous guests. Welcome to the show, Abby Dehan. How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> Great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Um, <clears throat> so you actually have an interesting background because you were born in Paris, France. Uh, before, That's right. mo- Yeah, before your family moved to South Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know that you also, your father was a chocolatier or sold chocolates. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you... he worked for um, well, he worked for Coco Berry for a long time, which is a very big company. Um, but he's been with Michelle Clozel for the almost oh my gosh, almost twenty years now. Wow, wow, that's wow, wow. I, I that like just I don't know why that threw me off. I wasn't expecting you that long, but yeah, almost twenty years. <laughs> now, um, you also your you said in one of your bios you said that your mother um, was a really good chef as well, at least at home. Um, so I don't know if you pulled from your uh, love of being a pastry chef from both parents, or you know who inspired you to to begin down this line of uh, of of being a pastry chef. Um, I would say definitely. Definitely both parents, because I, you know, with my mom, there was a lot of, a lot of home cooking, like every night, you know, I was very fortunate. My mom really didn't work when we were young, like she was a stay at home mom. So home cooked meals all the time. Obviously the Jewish holidays, we had all these different foods and challah, et cetera, et cetera, cakes that were, you know, birthday cakes that were homemade, um, that were delicious. And, and then of course on the the dad side, it was like, you know, my, one of my earliest memories as a kid is my dad bringing home like the big, like they're, sh- they're technically like restaurant sized chocolate blocks, but as a child, you look at it and it looks like a chocolate bar that has been like someone put a ray on it and was like, make this a thousand times bigger. And it's like, always like oh my God, a chocolate bar. So that's like one of my earliest memories is just being shocked at all that chocolate. Um, so that definitely, I think, influenced me, but I didn't, it wasn't until, uh, high school actually that I wanted to go into the culinary field. I, before that, I wanted to be one of my, my lofty goal was to be, um, uh, <laughs> you guys are going to laugh, a judge on the Supreme Court because <laughs> after reading Sandra Day O'Connor's bio, I was like inspired as a fourth grader. And so my goal was to be. Um, was definitely to be, uh, you know, a, a, a lawyer and then a judge. And I just couldn't imagine not not being that. So, 
So then high school hit, and and now I know, you know, I grew up in South Jersey. I went to Shawnee. Um, they, oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they actually had a uh, one of their, their classes that they offered was cooking. Did you take a cooking school while you were in high school, or did that not? They didn't have that. They didn't have that. So I just kind of, honestly, I watched the Food Network. But at the time, the Food Network, not saying that I, I watched Food Network now, but at the time, it was a very, like, chefy, chefy. So Jacques Torres, you know, had a show. Gail Gann had a really good dessert show. Um, like, the early Giada days, even, like, Rachel Ray I used to watch. And then I would just get in the kitchen and be like, oh, I saw this really cool grilled vegetable sandwich panini thing. Um, let me make it. And my mom would be like, yeah, please, make things. I don't have to cool. So I just <clears throat> love being in the kitchen and I wanted to actually do savory cooking first. And then my dad was like, are you sure you want to do savory? Like, do you feel like you'd be comfortable eating pork and shellfish? And then I was like, no, actually, I, I don't want to do that because that's something I, I, I had never done and I didn't really want to do. And to be honest, I still don't want to do. That's not something that entices me. <laughs> um, so he was like, well, consider pastry. And I was like, okay well why not and you know when you're young you just like you go for it you're you don't even think you're like that sounds great let's do that um so I did that I just kind of went for it so um when you did go for it you actually ended up going back to Paris and studying mm-hmm. in a very prestigious school which I'm going to mess up the name again even though we practiced um so Greg Gregory I'm just gonna go for it on English <laughs> <laughs> so Gregory Ferrandi. Um, now you can say it properly. <laughs> it's uh, Grégoire Ferrandi. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, one of the two, I would say, best pastry schools in Paris. There's a couple in France overall, but definitely that's like one of the number one schools in Paris. So what was that like, you know, making that decision to, to fly back there and, you know, that's where you studied? Um, it was a little bit of a fight at first with my dad because, you know, I had just finished high school or I was in the process of finishing high school and I wanted to be like my friends and I wanted to get the college experience. And I was like, no, I want to go to Johnson and Wales. And my dad was like, but you want to learn fresh pastry, just go to France. Like you have family there. Like you speak French. Just kind of makes sense. Like if you were American born and raised, like, sure. Like I understand you wanting that comfort, but just try it. And so I was like, okay. So once again, just kind of didn't really think about it. And a week after graduating high school, just like left. And I, I started working actually at the Michelle Clouseau store in Paris, like just over the summer, just to, you know, reimmerse myself in French culture, because it's really wildly different, like living in Paris and living in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, as you might expect. <laughs> Um, just a few different things. So um, kind of getting a couple months in there of like being like in France again. And then, yeah, I started school September and it was, you just, you know, you throw yourself in when you're young. You don't realize like what you're doing technically. You just kind of do it. And so I just did it. And it was, I was probably really nervous. But I don't remember that. Like, I don't remember those feelings. I just remember doing it. Yeah. 
Now, after you, um, or actually maybe even during, because you apprenticed at uh, Gerard Mulot, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is a, another like high demand, like prestigious, you know, bakery in France. And I know everybody, when you're there in Paris, you find a bakery that you're like, that's my bakery. Um, so you were at one of the, the most well-known ones in, you know, what was that like, you know, doing your apprenticeship there? I would say that was probably scarier than the schooling because, you know, you're, you start school and you're still in school. Like you have teachers who help you and guide you. You have students with you that you can commiserate with and be like, oh, that class or, oh, look at that cake that I messed up. It looked terrible. But when you're in a work setting, you're actually in a work setting. So there is no, you can mess up and it's okay. Or like, you just get kind of like a crappy grade. It's no, this needs to go to a customer. So you can't mess up. Yeah. And one of the things that I remember, it was early on in my apprenticeship, we had a sous chef who I still talk to to this day. And like, you know, I ended up like loving the guy, but he was terrifying. Um, also a little inappropriate because that's what they do over there. You know, <laughs> the times they have changed, they have changed. But at the time, he was like a little bit scary. And he just like, like lined up all the apprentices. There was maybe six or seven of us. And he was like, somebody or maybe even two people are not going to make it. Um, so show me what you got and get ready to kill it. Because if you don't, you're out. And we were all like, oh, God. so it's a little scary, you know, because you have that and then you have a you know a french chef who while very kind um if he got mad at you like which he, i have one incident where i don't i'm not a crier at work like i'm like be strong um <laughs> but he made me cry because he ripped me a new one like oh a whole, no whole new one so that experience to me was so much character building um because you have to have a not only extremely tough shell to be able to take um, criticism and long work days, um, but also just to to kind of forge yourself. And you know, coming from a fairly coddled, I would say coddled background. I mean, growing up in Cherry Hill is like very gentle and very kind. Um, a safe I, bubble. My family, <laughs> a very safe bubble. So all of a sudden, you're like thrown into something where like I don't know anyone. All these we're all working really hard. I'm 18 years old. I've never worked in a kitchen. I've never, I've never stood on my feet for more than oh, like an hour or two a day <laughs> or a little bit more. I did theater. So I guess if, you know, theater practice, but all of a sudden you're standing for 10 to 12 to 14 hours a day. And you're like, my body's failing me, you know, like I'm, I'm so young, <laughs> you know? So that too was like, like not only are you forging your resiliency in, in your body, like mentally but also physically and so in the end I not only learned a ton but I feel like it truly made me um like the pastry chef that I ended up becoming later on now um you know moving forward you you moved back to the U.S. and um did that did those experiences in that learning environment prepare you for working at the Chicago Hyatt and, you know, in Las Vegas and, um, you know, the various places that you had worked prior to moving back to Philadelphia? Yeah, so definitely. I think, I think one of the missteps of a lot of cooks is they don't take the chance to learn in a bunch of different places. So um, what I ended up doing is 
you know, obviously I went from a patisserie and then I, I did, did do a very small jump back in the Philly area. I worked at the Ritz Carlton, but for a very short time. And then I was transferred to the Ritz Carlton in Orlando, um, which was a dual property with a Marriott. And that was an incredible experience because I went from working in like, you know, a pretty high volume pastry shop, which is a lot and going to like a hotel, but you know, at the time it was winter. So it was very slow, but then going to a, basically a double hotel that was very convention heavy banquets for 2000. So you get a different type of resiliency from that. You know what I mean? So you learn not only how to do high volume in the sense of like a bakery, cause there was, there were different aspects that were kind of bakery esque, but you also are like, okay, I, now I need to make 2000 creme brulee and they, all need to be really nice. <laughs> so that's something else that you have to learn to do. Um, that's really hard, you know, like being consistent for that many things. It's not only difficult like to do physically, but also mentally. Yeah. Because it's it's <clears throat> draining to do the same thing over and over for, you know, eight hours a day. You're like, oh my God, I just did, I rolled truffles for eight hours. Oh my God, that's like, I need a break. I need like a mental break from this. Let's do something else. So that was a great experience for me. I did two and a half years there. So I really got a lot, a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't until Chicago at the Park Hyatt where I got true restaurant experience. Because at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, the department was very banquet heavy. So one person would get sent to like the line to work the restaurants or the different stations. But for the most part, I did just heavy production. Like my my... And that's still to this day, that's my thing. Yeah. Um, even when I was at Park, I'm like, I love just like busting production out. It's like my favorite thing. It's just, it feels so good, like so satisfying. Um, so at the Park High, it was like really big change because I went from giant, giant hotel to really small hotel, um, super fine dining, kind of like French, these beautiful plates. We're quenelling all the ice cream. And I'm not even ashamed to say up until then, I had never really quenelled ice cream. Like when you're in a banquet setting, you're not quenelling 2000 scoops. You're just yeah. not. Everything is pre-scooped and you have to because- It's a large volume. Yeah. You just can't, you just physically can't. Um, so I went there as supervisor and I think it was the first time I ever went to a job being like, wow, I don't think I'm prepared for this. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to be a supervisor. Um, but it's one of those things where you just have, you have to fake it until you make it, you know? <laughs> um, and I had a, such a great chef, a great mentor. I love the guy. I mean, like, even to this day, he's just like somebody I'm like, I think very fondly on because he taught me so much. Um, he trained me for my first competition. Like he really, and it was just a, a very talented man. So yeah. um, I had a great experience there. And I feel like um, you're very internally driven because you uh, you had mentioned your first competition, which you're, I feel like you're kind of like glazing over the level of, of, of that competition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again, me doing things that I didn't realize at the time were like, I'm like, yeah, this seems like a good idea. This could be fun. Like my chef was like, hey, you should consider signing up for this. And I was like, sure i'll like let's put some recipes together so i you know i came up with these recipes and we kind of worked out like how i was going to do them and that was the process is you had to like essentially create these three desserts that they were looking for and then send them in the recipes and the design and then they would pick people to actually 
perform like, it perform in the competition yeah so I was like yeah you know I probably won't get picked but like okay here we go and then I did and then my chef was like okay well you know we have to like you're gonna have to practice so luckily it was like around a very slower period, you know, winter time in Chicago is not that it's that slow, but it's not exactly like bustling. Right. Um, so he just like put me in this like kitchen that we had and he was like, okay, you're going to make these from top to bottom. This is your timing. This, you know, he would come around and be like, there's a spot of raspberry on your counter. And I'm like, okay, no one's going to see it. It's fine. He'd be like, no, 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 no. Wipe everything down. Stay as clean as you can. People will be walking around. People will be judging how you're working. Like, was really hard on me, but it ended up working out because yeah. I ended up winning, which was cool and uh, um, and super unexpected. And that was the cacao berry lard du chocolatier challenge, correct? Yes, that yeah, and it was their first one, so they've changed a bit now. Now everyone has to do like a showpiece and all that stuff. But for the first one, you had to make a plated dessert, a tart, and a verine like a dessert yeah. in a glass. Um, and all these like judges were like amazing judges. And you're like, one of them was an MOF winner too. I was yeah, Laurent there was a few, there were a few, even like the, one of the guys I was up against, um, Patrick Fahey, who was at, he was at the French laundry. And then he was at Blackbird. I had two chefs from Robichon that I was up against. I had my I had my old sous chef from Orlando, who's now, who's in, I mean, like beyond, beyond talented. I don't even know how I won against him because he's truly like one of the most talented creative people I've ever met. Um, his name is uh, Yoshikazu Kizu. He's in, he's back in Japan now. And um, yeah, so that, so I that, think that I was, think the, was the most intimidating thing personally. But, you know, once you're there, at least for me, I just like, I'm like tunnel vision. I'm like, they're, these are my objectives. This is what I have to do. I'm just going to get it done. I'm going to get it done as best as I can. And then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And that's what I did. And you won. And um, sticking to the competition, you know, theme right now, uh, I don't know what your second competition is, but I do know what your third one was, which was the Food Network, the, uh, the Chopped Sweets. Yes. So actually the second one was also Food Network. I did oh, okay. back in the day when it was Sweet Genius with Ron Ben Israel. Um, but yes, Chopped was not, not last year, the year before. Yes, pre it was we filmed pre right before the pandemic hit. Um, yeah, that was a really cool time. <laughs> really fun. So what was that like, like being presented with ingredients where you were just like, uh, what do I do with this? <laughs> Well, <clears throat> I think it's definitely stressful, but at the end of the day, um, I kind of went in, I don't know if everyone does this, but, but the way I thought about it is what can I make that is general enough that I can incorporate different ingredients. So before I literally, I watched as many of the episodes as there were, I think there were only a few because it was fairly new. Um, <clears throat> and I just kind of watched what they did. Um, and I also paid attention to what kind of dishes they were using. So, which is like super weird and anal, but I, I noticed one dish and I was like, oh, that dish is beautiful. I'm definitely going to use that on the show. Like, I just know I'm going to use it. So I already had kind of a game plan of what I wanted to do as far as desserts go without even knowing what my ingredients were. Cause I figure I can probably incorporate on the fly somehow 
something with these ingredients. But I also got fortunate, I think, because none of the ingredients were like really weird. They were annoying to like work out, but not weird in the sense that they tasted bad. Okay. You know, like I got a pavlova with berries and cream. Thank you. <laughs> you know, almond paste. Easy. Okay, yeah. You know, like nerds, nerds, delicious. Like we can make something. So you like crush them up. <laughs> yeah, you crush them up. You make a sauce. Like if you watch Chopped Enough, which yeah. I love, I love that show. I I watch it all the time, no matter what. Just like savory sweet. You kind of understand like what works in that kitchen and what doesn't. Yeah. Like quick things. A sauce will work. Like sometimes an ice cream it will work in your favor. Sometimes not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe piping um, it too early. <laughs> yeah. Or having the ice cream machine available. Like, something else like, cool. So yeah, some things work, some things don't. But at the end of the day, I think they do want you to like relatively succeed so they try not to give you things that are like really insane like there's always one like slightly weird ingredient but for the most part they they have kind of an idea I feel like they have kind of an idea of what they want you to do with it yeah you know so I don't know it's hard but they they give you a few minutes before the I don't know if I should be giving away these secrets but no no they give you a few minutes yeah you know what maybe actually starts (laughs) maybe I mean listen whatever (laughs) I think I'm past my my contract period. Um, <laughs> Your NDA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, like you don't listen. They don't tell you in advance, so it's not like that's definitely a surprise. But once you open the basket, then they're like, okay, you have like one minute. What's in your mind? Write it down. And they have, and I think it's actually really smart. They have you write it down. So I think you can solidify it in your head. Yeah. But then they take away your paper. Like you're not keeping this paper. You're literally just so it's like it a- down for the. They tease you with a cheat sheet and then they take it from you. <laughs> yeah, but I th- I actually think that's helpful because at least for me, writing something down, I'm like, okay, now I kind of remember what I'm doing. Because in the heat of the moment, when there's as hot as balls in there and you have people looking at you, people asking you questions, you're like, please, Scott, get out of my face. Um, like, you know, like y- you, you don't have time to think. You just have to do. Yeah. So I think writing it down helps you just like focus on the doing so you don't have to think about it. And the people that think too hard don't succeed generally. Now, did your did, um your background with park um and dandelion and the love did that help with uh with preparing you for that high demand situation? Wait, you said the love? Yeah, I, the love. um. Oh, sorry, but I know that you did work at uh the dandelion. The dandelion. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, working in a restaurant like Park, just any high volume restaurant, you have to think on your feet constantly. There's always like, this VIP person is entirely vegan. Can you make them something? (laughs) Oh, and they're here in five minutes. Can you make them something? You're like, yeah, I mean, for sure. But you have to constantly just like, bop, 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 just be on your feet. And um, that definitely helps. And also being that I am highly like production oriented like I said that's my bread and butter um I'm sorry am I not supposed to say like bad words expletives yeah it's all right sorry sorry (laughs) it's it's beyond me sometimes I will I will tone that down my apologies no you're Um, right you come from the kitchen that's that's, (laughs) I just have to mark down where they have to bleep it on the radio (laughs) (laughs) my bad no it's all right (laughs) 
I will try. Um, so yeah, I like to, I like to really just like bust things out. So for me, when I'm like, okay, I know I'm making a Madeline batter and this and this and this, like, just go, just yeah. go do it. Don't even think about it. And um, yeah, so definitely being in a high volume type situation. Yes. <laughs> definitely prepares you 100%. Now you were furloughed um, because of the pandemic and you started cooking out of your own kitchen and selling your baked goods through that. And I remember he, like reading about that and hearing about that like through the news. Um, and I it's so I'm like, oh, I actually get to speak with you. <laughs> now, um, did winning Chopped Sweets, did that like, you know, was that kind of like your your next level start into doing the baked goods out of your home? Um, or did you use that to start the bake school? So actually neither because <clears throat> we filmed. All right. I have to think back because I feel like this pandemic has been going on for about a thousand years. So <laughs> um, we filmed uh, Chops in February of 2020. The pandemic hit. Um, I started the bake school over the summer, like June-ish, but the episode didn't come out until September. Um, but what happened was I was at home and my original kind of thing was, especially for selling some baked goods, was I, um, I know there's like in where I, in the area where I live, which is Rittenhouse Square, there's a lot of elderly people. And I knew they were kind of stuck like in their homes, whatever. And so I wanted to make challahs. So that if someone needed a challah for like Shabbat, even if they don't do Shabbat, but like they're Jewish and they're like, I want I a like, challah, I yeah. can't even go to Schlesinger's or whatever. Um, so that I would, I offered, I was like, does anyone know anyone who wants a challah, who needs a challah? So it kind of started out like that. And then I had friends reach out to me and be like, hey, it's my daughter's birthday. Can you make a cake? And then it kind of just kind of started from there very slowly. Um, and it was, it was nice because I also just, you you have you spend every day working 10 to 12 hours or more actively and then all of a sudden you're like well I have nothing to do <laughs> and it's great for like a week and the then it's week, boring my husband's like you're glowing you you look rested and happy and then I was like okay I am seriously bored so um it was nice to to keep busy and to feel like I had a purpose because you just lose your sense of purpose um and then I had a friend, acquaintance, reach out to me and be like, hey, you know, my, the company I work for, we're looking to do a group activity. We're just tired of all these like Zoom happy hours are just really boring. Um, would you be interested in like doing a, a pastry class for us? And I was like, hell yeah, like that sounds great. You know, I used to do classes at Cook all the time and they're super fun for me. I really enjoy like the teaching aspect. Um, so that was kind of like the first thing I did. And then um, I had a girl that I know through, as we all know, through people through Instagram these days, and she worked for a company who, um, it's a company in Philly, but I guess they've, now they've sold their another company, but they ended up hiring me like two or three times a month for classes. And so I just started doing classes and kind of getting my bearings um, as far as not only teaching in the sense that people are baking with you, which is very different from a demo of like yeah. the cook situation, um, but also just becoming a better teacher. Cause you don't like, if you're a manager in a restaurant or a, you teach all the time, I'm teaching all the time, Yeah. but there's a difference between <clears throat> teaching someone who 
is in the workplace and then teaching someone who just wants to do this for fun is trying to find like something different in their day um and like it's not that serious it, yeah. it is but like it isn't so finding that fine line of teaching them enough where they're like oh this is really interesting but not so much in crazy in depth where they're like this is scary and I'm afraid to mess this up like it's okay if you mess up <laughs> like you're just learning you know yeah like, we're doing this over zoom it's no big deal so um it kind of started out like that but now I have some I have some pretty serious clients who are like I want to learn how to make some cool things. I'm like, let's do it. Let's do it. I know. And I went on your, your bake school website and I saw that you, you have two different um, levels. You have like true beginners and then you have a slightly more advanced class as well. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that real quick? Um, and, uh, and then I will have to to let you go. Unfortunately, I love speaking oh. with you. I know, but why? I'm such a talker. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So the bake school has well for the public classes. I like to host for those who can't afford necessarily one on one teaching. Uh, I will host kind of like a normal class. We go over some fairly basic, you know, easier pastry things. Um, and then I like to do advanced classes, maybe things that are a bit longer or two-parters or that involve um, techniques that maybe they have to have seen and done first already, like making a mousse, making a, a yeasted dough, things like that. So um, I can cater to all levels, which is the idea. Like not everyone's going to come to me and be like, I'm an amazing baker. I don't, that's okay. Like, I don't want you to be because that's what I'm here for. Um, and that's the point of the bake school is not only do you get to learn you know, either in a public setting or a private setting, but you can essentially pick what you want to learn. You know, if you're, especially in a private setting, if you have something you're, you know, you set your eyes on making croissants. Okay. Well, you know what? We got to book three days, but let's do it. Let's figure it out. I'm going to show you from point A to Z and then you're going to have croissants. And that's my goal. And as long as the person um, can walk away from the experience and be like, I could do this myself next time then I feel really good because I know I've done my job. Yeah. All right, Abby, thank you for joining us. Let everybody know who is tuning in, listening and watching the video. Um, how do they find you on socials and where do they find your website? So they can find me at Abby DeHaan or at The Bake School. Um, and they can definitely just message me through there via DM or email. That's right on my page as well. And hopefully I look forward to teaching some of you guys out there. <laughs> All right, Abby, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Abby. <laughs> thank you for having me. Sorry, we didn't get to your question, Jean. I know. I feel okay. bad. <laughs> hey, Abby, can you stay on for one second? I have a question for you after. Sure, no problem. All right, thank you. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time, an FM station in New York, and to the millions of Facebook users worldwide with access to the Facebook mobile app. Send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadime at yahoo.com. And we're back. Amorous Pollock, introduce us to your fabulous guests. Hi, I'd like to welcome Walter Goldsbury to the show. He is one of the owners of Crumb in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Walter, welcome welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem. Thank you for joining us. 
Um, now, you also own the Custer card. I want to make sure that that gets plugged, too, because, you know, it's absolutely delicious. And I took some photos of some of the ice cream sandwiches that you made. But what I really want to get into is crumb because you guys are still you know somewhat new on the scene and you have artisanal sandwiches that you make from scratch like everything from scratch so why don't you tell us a little bit about crumb and how you guys got started so crumb uh, is a project that um concept that dave murray uh, who's uh, my uh, business partner um and uh, he's actually our bread maker um, we came up with a concept um, to, you know, kind of fill a void that we saw in Haddonfield. I'm a Haddonfield resident. Dave owned previously on Denim, BYOB in Haddonfield. Uh, he sold that in April of um, 2021. And uh, this um, first, our space became available, and we kind of developed the concept around the space and also filling a void in, in Haddonfield. Uh, Dave and I have been friends um, for about two and a half years, introduced through the restaurant scene, and then we were also on the Haddonfield um, Food and Beverage Collective, um, which is a small organization in Haddonfield to promote restaurants and businesses. So um, we kind of came up with the concept. Dave has been baking bread for a very long time. He's a trained baker. Um, we do everything on our house made focaccia, so he's really mastered that. Um, and that's, you know, the bread is the focal point of the restaurant, and then we build the sandwiches, um, you know, using, you know, all prime meats, um, you know, heritage pork, uh, you know, we're using organic, uh, all organic produce uh, as much as possible from local farmers and, um, you know, making the sauces and, 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 you know, really putting a lot of love into it. And you also make salads and soups as well from scratch. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the salads, um, you know, like I said, we use a lot of produce from, uh, we, we try to use local farmers like 1895 Organics, and we partner with um, Black Sheep Farm as well, and some others. Uh, and so we do we do have you know we offer a couple salads on the menu that we rotate in and out, and then we also scratch make our um, soups, and uh, we kind of rotate those in and out as well, uh, depending on the season. Obviously, we've only been open for a few months, um, so we'll be as it, we've, that cold brisk has certainly hit us the past week and a half. So we're uh, you know, have a couple of chilies coming on and different things as well that'll be on the menu. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'll be right there with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I have I also know Dave Dave personally, and um, I I've always been one of his you know photographers that comes out and takes photos of his food, and um, and I've always been there for the ribbon cuttings, which you actually just recently had your you know ceremony, your ribbon cutting ceremony. Uh, this weekend. Yeah, we did it as a part of uh, celebrating our 100th day in business. Um, you know, to be honest, we when we opened up in the beginning of October, um, you know, we did a slow rollout, but things took off so fast. Um, and we've been, you know, gratefully slammed into business ever since. Um, and, and we hope that continues. We finally had a chance to, you know, we took a little break over Christmas and we set it up in the holidays and New Year's and we set it up uh, last week to celebrate our 100th day in business. Which was, you know, you guys had a nice turnout and uh, and I definitely grabbed some of your uh, cinnamon buns that you guys make from scratch too that are also organic. Um, and I mean, 
to let people know, because I've eaten, you know, several of the different sandwiches that you guys offer. Um, if you want, if you're hungry, the the sandwiches will will fill you up, one hundred percent. And they're they're like just in you know infused with so much flavor, and with the bread, the focaccia bread that you guys make, it's it gives it almost like a. Ch- a chewier bite because um of of how thick it is but also how well made it is um yeah the the focaccia is the technique that dave uses it's very um it's a very fluffy uh focaccia so it's light and airy but that thickness you're talking about is kind of the um you know the uh structure of the bread but it's it's um you can if you take a look i think dave did a real last um the other day on instagram over the weekend on uh, crumb haddonfield is our Instagram and uh, he did a reel and pulling apart the bread and you can see how light and fluffy it is. Is yeah, and it's very light yeah. and fluffy. You know, and it, it was what was funny is um, when he still owned denim, he was playing around with the focaccia ideas, and I was taking photos for him, like for um, marketing purposes. And uh, so mm-hmm. I actually got to taste test some of the the pre crumb focaccias that he he came up with, and I mean, I was I was like, you need to just make this. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, and that's why we made it kind of the focal the focal point of the bread. Now we do do some brioche as well, and uh, we're actually going to be offering. We have been offering uh, market loaves, what we'll call you know the bowls of sourdough uh, that that we hand make, and then um, and then our chicken salad sandwich, which is very popular. Um, we use an, you know an all natural chicken and you know kind of a rosemary house house made rosemary aioli in there. Uh, we serve that on a cranberry walnut focaccia, which is uh, delicious, and it's a very big. Um, people really, you know, it's very, very popular. It's one of our popular uh, menu items. And um, and <laughs> I know that you know for breakfast, your number one, um, number one selling one is uh, is the the hangover. Yeah, the hangover cure. That's the um, so I'm playing a bacon, egg, and cheese, and we we're using. Uh, Nyman Ranch uh, bacon on that, um, you know, uh, all natural injured American cheese, and then we have you know have the organic eggs and on the focaccia, it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, breakfast sandwich. I know. I was just biting into it. I don't know if I took a video or not, but it was like heaven, you know. And I was so hungry, and like I, I was like, you know, just ecstatic when I finally got to taste it. Um, as, you know, and I've had it a couple of times now, so it's a great, you know, it's a great breakfast sandwich, and you know, it definitely fills you up, and it's perfect. It's got it's absolutely named because the the focaccia is so filling; it would soak up if you had a hangover. It would soak up that alcohol that you drank the night before. Um, now, you also have a sandwich on there called the closer. Yes, um, that's one of our chicken cutlet sandwiches, um, and we, you know, house bread the the cutlets on that sandwich. We uh, and our, our cutlet sandwiches are, are very popular. We offer a few different ones, um, but the closer is one that we came up in a promotional kind of um, with the local real estate agent that that's a big supporter of, of Crumb, uh, Colleen Haddon. Uh, we named it after her, and we did a um, that's where where the closer comes in. We do a 24 month Prosciutto de Parma. Um, 30-year balsamic uh, vinegar, uh, a little, a little um, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, and um, fresh mozzarella. Um, I'm sorry, uh, on that one is Asiago, melted Asiago, and arugula. 
um, and we uh, dress that up like that. And it's a fantastic sandwich. Now, you're starting to do some new things with your menu and offerings, um, one of which is Focaccia Friday. So why don't you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about that and some of the other specials that are, that are you know, coming up soon? Yeah, we uh, we we were rolling out some um, you know focaccia Friday where we would we'd have the fluffy focaccia and we do toppings on them. You know we had a uh, organic um, heirloom potato, little bacon, horseradish crema. Um, that was last uh, Friday. You know we do a traditional um, you know tomato um, like a margarita style, and then we um, we actually you know do some you know kind of do some throw some vegetable ones. We did a Brussels sprout one. Um, you know, and uh, rotate rotate them out. Some other things that we're going to be doing and we're in discussions with, I think we'll probably be rolling it out this weekend, is kind of a, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, kind of small family meal as well. Um, you know, because a lot of our sandwiches, you know, kind of a play on, you know, you could do a chicken parm, we do a um, the house, you know, we use USDA prime meatballs and we ground in house. Uh, that's our tribbiani we do a meatball parm so you know we can make some fresh spaghetti in house or pasta tagliatelle you know fresh meatballs you know have basically family meal and it's i don't want to use the word deconstructed in the sense but kind of a play on our sandwiches but served more as a uh a family meal um as well and kind of roll different things out you know like a meatball, meatloaf sandwich that we do uh kind of turn that into family meal with you know palms puree and, and such so uh do you do you have an any kind of ETA on uh, when you're going to roll out the family meals? Uh, we were actually, we're, I think we're going to be looking at this weekend. Um, uh, today's our day off. <laughs> so Dave and I usually kind of chat tonight about the upcoming week. Um, so it's either going to be this weekend or definitely uh, next weekend. It'll be a Friday and Saturday thing. Our hours on Friday and Saturday are um, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, the other days, Tuesday through Thursday at 8, 8 to 3 and then Sunday we're eight to eleven, so Friday and Saturday makes sense to offer the uh, kind of family meals for you know kind of quick dinners on the go. It does, and uh, and I just want to also note that on your Fakasha Fridays, it's between the hours of uh, three to six p.m. and you get a five dollar slab of of that just fluffy, delicious, carb happy, you know, Fakasha that that Dave makes. Yes. Yeah, very tasty. <laughs> um, now, I will have to let you go soon, and I don't well, want to because I do love speaking with you. Um, but why don't you let our listeners know where to find you online, on social media, and, you know, in, in Haddonfield? Sure. So Crum uh, is located um, right off the Kings Highway, right by the, the, um, the Hattie Dinosaur Sculpture. Um, they uh, call it Lantern Lane right there. Um, and uh, you can find us uh, crumhaddonfield.com, Instagram crumhaddonfield. Uh, give us a follow, and um, also uh, Facebook crumhaddonfield. All right, Walter. Thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Very well. Thank you for having thank me. It was a pleasure speaking with you. All right. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> and I, all right. Have a nice day. Tune in to Dining on a Dime to hear from Gene Blum, our chef, educator, consultant, and historian. You can find him across social media at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. And you can also tune in to listen to Amaris Pollock and find her across social media at arpollockus at gmail.com. And we're back. Chef Gene, take it away. 
Frank, certainly a very happy new year to you and welcome back and thank you for joining us. So kind of brought you on, wanted to go across a couple things uh, at the time we have today. One of them is, uh, you know, the, the whole concept that people are talking about, you know, dry January and what's going on. You know, everybody has a different version of dry January. And I love all the little promotions and, and the takes that you're, you represent because, you know, for you, dry January is not something we really want to talk about. So you were able to find a way to kind of, yeah, you were able to find a way to to really kind of promote other versions of dry January and, and what that's all about. So can you touch on a little bit about what's happening at, uh, at Frank's wine mart down there in Delaware, you know, for dry January? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Dry January, you know, it just really kind of exploded like this year, just so much hype about it customers in the store even like a lot of my co uh employees and staff are like well, i'm doing dry january i'm doing dry january I'm like guys come on what are you what are you doing what do you mean staff for business don't do dry january like that's normally how i would think like years prior because it's always you know we've always sort of dry january um and i always just kind of poo-pooed it and just never you know did anything with it other than promote 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 beer wine and spirits during dry january um, but yeah, this year, I mean, compared to like any other year, like the whole non-alcoholic category has like exploded. I mean, and it all kind of started like in, during COVID, I think, uh, I mean, like the sale of beer, especially like non-alcoholic beer, just that's where I, I noticed it, like was increasing. I'm like running out of non, I'm like, how are these, why are we running out of non-alcoholic beer? What's going on here? And it seemed like I guess people were I don't know it just they 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 kind of went over the top during COVID being stuck at home and they just wanted to uh, still enjoy the the, the flavors and um, and they went outside the alcoholic realm um, and you know it, there's always been brands out there like Budweiser's O'Doul's and uh, Miller had their Sharps and Coors Na. Um, you know, Buckler, Klaus Tower, all the oldies, you know. But then, like, now there's so many, like, a, a lot of the craft breweries are coming out with, like, seriously delicious non-alcoholic beer. Uh, Brooklyn out of New York, we have this uh, variety pack of, a 12-pack of, you know, 12, you know, you get four can, three cans each of four different styles, a Pilsner, a Hoppy Amber, an IPA, a Hazy IPA, um, there's, you know, Sam Adams, you know, came out with one, Dogfish Head, um, and, and just a lot of these really small craft breweries, one, one in particular called Untitled Art. They're great. They make a delicious line of seltzer, like real seltzer. Um, and they're, they're doing, they do a juicy IPA that I'm like, God, man, I just wish there was alcohol in this thing because I would be drinking it because, <laughs> I don't know. To me, dry January, I like dry wine. That's it. I like dry wine. I'm, I'm, I'm not partaking in dry January, but um, I, like to, uh, I like to still see my customers during dry January, the ones that are partaking in it. Well, I'm with you. I mean, my idea for New Year's resolution is I keep going with that idea that I want to open up a you know, health spa that in six weeks becomes a wine bar. Because <laughs> <laughs> really, you know, we all throw them 
to the side in just a couple of weeks. So why not enjoy life and, and you know enjoy your wine and have dinner? And you know I have to say, having been home for the last couple of weeks, you know with you know really nothing going on, I've been truly enjoying my bourbon and a lot of it from your location. So you know certainly something that's been you know, very therapeutic to me each night and, and sitting down and having a glass of bourbon and doing that. So, nice. you know, if we get away from dry January a little bit, obviously we're in football season, which is probably one of your better seasons. You know, we're in playoff time. Everybody's starting to throw parties and things like that. You know, do you have suggestions for people looking to throw some you know, good parties. The Super Bowl this year is late in February, but you know, going into that, what kind of wine, spirits, beer, you know, are you going to be pushing this year? That's a little bit different for everybody, a little bit out of the norm. Well, I tell you, I mean, obviously, beer has always been the huge uh, uptick with uh, during Super Bowl for sure. Um, but then I kind of saw it, you know, over the years, just seeing it go towards. You know, basically, it's just gatherings. I mean, whether people are into watching the game or not, it's just like your typical gathering, whether it's a cocktail party or, you know, a dinner party or whatnot. Um, you know, then and if that's the case, then you can get into doing pretty much, you know, everything you would do at a normal, like, at, at, your, at a normal party um, with, a, with a full bar, you know, of, of you know, bourbons and vodkas, uh, gins and whatnot. And then, of course, wine. Um, you know, me personally, I, I, I tend to drink champagne during, uh, the Super Bowl for some reason. We'll, we'll pick out like a couple different styles of champagne and, and, um, I kind of turn it into like our, yeah, kind of like a little champagne party with friends, uh, bring a bottle over of your favorite. And we all just kind of like share a different bubbly that that's always been our tradition. Um, that's a, that's a wonderful tradition, you know? Sadly, you know, we'll be out in L.A. for the Super Bowl this year, so I, I'm a little far away from Frank's to be, you know, indulging in champagne. But I'll, I'll keep you in mind that maybe we'll make sure we have a bottle or two out there with us during nice. the game and, and crack that open in our location out there in L.A. But, uh, you know, a great way. And, you know, certainly if, if you know, the Eagles make it that far, then we're all going to have champagne and and, you know, be enjoying that, but, you know, can't bank on that. You know, I'm not going to bet the mortgage on that one. You know? Right. That would be amazing, though. Get another repeat of uh, years back. That's that, Oh, my God. What that did for business was insane. That was absolutely amazing. Oh, absolutely. I, it was just, you know, the, the parties that went on in the area, and right. they, were, they were second to none. The city of Philadelphia knows how to throw a party. We certainly did absolutely. that really well. So are growlers still a big part of business today? I, I know for you know two years ago or so, you know, it was a really big thing that people coming in and getting their growlers filled and things like that. Is that still a big part of the business going on in, in the beer business you, especially? You know, it's it's literally it's it, it that took such a nosedive, it's insane. And so much so that about six months ago I um I'm like, what are we doing with this space? Like we're filling, you know, a handful of growlers a week when it used to be like dozens a day, you know, back in like its heyday. Um, you know, we, I guess in Delaware anyway, it started um, in 
yeah, like six years ago at this point is when it became a law that we were okay to do growlers and fill growlers. And, uh, and they were hot. I mean, smoking hot for the longest time. And just every accessory to, you know, that you could, that I could find that had to do with a growler between like tags to like put onto the, uh, the little handles so you can tag your growler of what's in it to like these insulated jackets that you zip up over your growler to keep it cold. And we had different styles of growler. We literally now have like shut down our entire growler operation. Um, we, we don't, we don't even do it any longer. And I honestly, I, I scratched my head. Like what, what caused this to like happen? I don't, I, and I, I just don't have an answer other than I think, uh, cause we always did cool stuff. We always had like one-off beers that like, breweries wouldn't bottle so we wouldn't have like your typical stuff on tap um so i don't know what really made it flop i think maybe just there's so many different beer selections out there and maybe people just want to try you know six pack here six pack there and mix and match through the night and have a can of this and a can of that and not have to commit to an entire you know equivalent to what five 12 ounce beers in one sitting you know, and I, I do think you touched on it. There, there's, you know, so many people were getting into growlers, but doing the just run-of-the-mill, you know, average beers, and they weren't taking the time to invest the research and the time like you were doing by having one-offs or products that you felt people would really take a liking to and knowing your consumer. And as a result, it just became oversaturated, and, you know, it ran down the market. And, you know, leading me to that why I love Frank's is that, you know, with wines, you've always been that person to, hey, you know what, I discovered this. I'm bringing this in. You know, you, you travel for research, you know. You're out, you know, different parts of the world looking at, at wineries and trying different things and bringing them back. So, you know, one of the things that I really love about doing business with you and, and coming to your store is that I can always find things I never had. So that being said, whether it's dry January where we want good dry wines or the occasional non-alcoholic beer, or we're looking for great things for the Super Bowl or anything like that, how do people get in touch with Franks? Where do we find you on social media? And where do we find you on the Internet to place orders? So you can find us in Wilmington, right off of 95. Um, we're right at the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue, which is Route 52 in Wilmington, and North Union Street, right at the railroad overpass, uh, just outside of downtown Wilmington. And um, you can find us online at frankswine.com. And, of course, we're on every really social media platform, Instagram and and um Twitter and um, not no TikTok yet. Haven't gone gone the TikTok route, but uh, of course Facebook, uh, all under Frank's Wine, one word, Frank's Wine, and uh, yeah, you can always give us a call one eight hundred at Frank's at Frank's. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk to all the nostalgia lovers out there a little bit about a little bit of the history of Frank's and the fact that it started as the original building was a bowling alley. And you have paid tribute to that by still having some of the wood floor, the lanes there visible, as well as a lot of your father's trophies, who was an avid bowler. And 
you just brought in a vintage Frank's soda machine. So for nostalgia lovers who like to drink, Frank's is the place. Frank, as always, thank you for joining us at Food Farm to Jeff. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Better when it's in person and we're sharing a drink. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Cheers to all thank you guys. You, thank you, Frank. Thank you for tuning in to Food Farms and Chefs. You can find us at during Drive Time Radio at 6 p.m. in the Philadelphia area and Fridays in the Hudson Valley at 1 p.m. And you can find us also at phillyrestaurantreviews.com. You can find me at ARPolicus or, AR, or email me at ARPolicus at gmail.com if you would like to be a sponsor of the show. You can find me across social media at ibfoodie 2 or at Gene's Mom, or you can email me directly at I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E, the number two at yahoo.com. Have an incredible week, everyone. Happy Tuesday.